our Old Testament passage takes us back to a simpler time when the children of Israel were commanded by God to take a break and celebrate the end of wheat harvest. But as Dave concludes our session today, we will all discover that there is something far more wonderful that we can thank God for as we celebrate a feast called 50th after Acts chapter 2. Dave introduces our discussion with the words of a gospel chorus that is so old, it will probably be brand new to many of you. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills, the wealth in every mine. He owns the rivers and the rocks and the hills, the sun and stars that shine. Wonderful riches, more than tongue could ever tell. He is my father. Now get this. So they're mine as well. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Now get this. I know that he will take care of me. As a little kid, that's what my Sunday school teacher sang over and over again with us yelling in Awana and Sunday school. But what a thought. That's what is being expressed in Philippians. The Lord says, I will meet all of your needs according to my riches and glory. Now today, are you worried so that you can't have a good time, so you can't let go, so you can't ever get rid of that tightness that makes you have stomach ulcers and your heart rhythm gets out of whack and you have headaches and you can't go to sleep at night and then you you can't wake up in the morning because you're always under that stress. God says, I will supply all of your needs according to your riches and glory. And when you learn to open up that Wonder Bread and put it in the toaster and say, what a miracle today. Incredible. God gave me a a piece of bread to eat and it's a total miracle from heaven. Then you'll learn to relax. 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 11, just pick in the middle verse. And God is able to make all grace abound to you. Not performance, but grace. All grace abound to you so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. You will be able to give to others out of the abundance of what God had provided for you. But you know, that's not the only thing that they remembered at the Feast of Pentecost. And the Old Testament festival times, they tried to connect the yearly festival with a very important event in the history of Israel. Because one of the things that they did at their harvest festivals, at their at the celebrations in the spring and in the summer and the fall, was not only just to take time to say, thanks God for bread and thank you for giving to me, but they also took the time to remember the great events of what we call their salvation history. Now somebody tell me, what did they remember at the feast that we talked about the last time? The first year feast. The, the Israelite calendar began with this feast. A lot of you are calling out. The Passover. Now, can anybody tell me that's really sharp in Old Testament studies? Exodus chapter 19, verse 1 says that the children of Israel traveled for... So many days. Now, what took place in the history of Israel approximately 7 times 7 is 49, plus 1 is 50. What took place at that period of time about 50 days after the celebration of Passover? And then the moving to the Red Sea 
And then what happened? The giving of the law. You see, the children of Israel, Exodus 19, verse 1, and it didn't take the rabbis, because they studied the scriptures really hard, it didn't take them long to realize, ding, Passover. Our first feast celebrates the Passover. Our second one takes place 50 days after that offering of the first fruits for the Passover. Now, 50 days later, we celebrate a feast called Pentecost. What historical event can we root that in? And they would celebrate the giving of the law. Now, the literature that we have to prove this goes back to just about the first century. We know for sure that as the temple in Jerusalem was destroyed in 70 A.D., and the children of Israel could no longer bring their first fruits to the temple, and they could no longer celebrate their harvest festival because they didn't have a land to grow any crops, and they were scattered all over the world. We know that as rabbinic Judaism began to develop, that they began to very much connect the Feast of Pentecost with the giving of the law at Mount Sinai. In fact, if you were raised in real strong Orthodox families, at the Feast of Pentecost, at the 50th day feast, the Feast of Harvest, you might not have any wheat to be able to celebrate. You might not have a loaf of bread, but one of the things that you would have is the law of God, that we're studying the book of Deuteronomy. On the first feast day of Pentecost, your daddy would read to you Exodus chapter 19. And he would read that stirring story of the manifestation of God on Mount Sinai and the ten words of God that thundered out the skillful way to live. And your daddy would teach everyone of the family, we need to be obedient to this moral code. We need to fulfill the law of Moses. It is our life. Then your daddy on the second day of the feast would read a romantic love story, the book of Ruth that talked all about the harvest time and about God taking care of his people even when they were scattered and even when they became aliens and how God reached out even to a Moabite girl and brought into relationship with himself. And you would be taught those stories every Pentecost. Your dad would read through the book of Ruth. And you would be reminded about God's gracious giving of the law. And then in the book of Ruth, his gracious promise that one day a son of David would come. And those two things would become ingrained in your thinking about Pentecost. You say, Dave, well, we don't live under the law. What should Pentecost mean to us? And that's the third thing I want to talk to you about today. You see, as believers, we don't think of the rhythm of the seasons uh, under the New Testament covenant. We don't have to celebrate the Passover at a certain time. We don't have to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles at a certain time. But maybe we would do well to catch the rhythm of the seasons again and do well to remember the salvation history that it represents. Because in the book of Acts, turn to Acts chapter 2, God chose to do a very special thing at Pentecost. And what I would like you to see is I want you to make this connection. Harvest, the gift of the law, which was the essence of the Old Testament celebration of Pentecost. In Acts chapter 2, the Lord God of heaven connected Pentecost with one of the most significant events that ever took place in the church. It was the giving of the Spirit and the birth of the church. Look what it says in verse verse 1 of chapter 2. When the, day of, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together. Oh, I love that. 
God's people need to be all together. They usually have to say, when the day of Pentecost came and God's children were scattered like quail because they were fighting and arguing, they couldn't get along and they couldn't agree on what clothes you're going to wear and what music you were going to sing and when you were going to have services. God's children were all everywhere. Doesn't say that. I love it. Love Luke's stress upon togetherness when they were all together. The early church, 120 of them, at least at the beginning, all 120 were all together in one place. Really important because remember in the Old Testament, God says three times a year, I want you to come to the one place that I'm going to choose for you, which in their culture was the city of Jerusalem. So this is the, this is the manifestation, these Jewish believers are gathered together in one place. And look what happens. Suddenly, a sound like the wind, like the blowing of a violent wind, came from heaven. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. That's an incredible thing. As these 120 believers were together, suddenly it was like an incredible storm was coming up. And the wind began to blow. And you say, well, Dave, what in the world does all that have to do with anything? In the Old Testament... The prophet, the prophets would hear the voice of God in the wind and would speak about the wind. Elijah liked to talk about the voice of God that revealed to him the word of God in the wind. Often in the Old Testament, the wind is related to revelation of God. In fact, interesting enough, the very word in the Old Testament for spirit The word spirit in the Old Testament means the wind. Same thing with the Greek translation. So the idea of God revealing himself is very much connected to the wind. There's a lot of reasons for that. Remember the Lord Jesus says the wind blows where it desires and you can't tell where it's coming from and where it's going. In other words, you don't have control over it. And he says, so is everyone that's born of the spirit. As we heard Pat give his testimony, you know what that was a testimony of? The wind of the Spirit. On Friday night at our high school football game, as I moved around and and went, you know, back and forth and you meet different people, there were some young cowboys just like Pat that were there. And some of those young cowboys are doing exactly what Pat was doing. And a lot of those young cowboys could care less about what I'm teaching about today. They could care less about being a preacher. They'll say things once in a while like, well, you know, your tires might be a little bit bald, but at least God traveled with you every day, so you'll probably be safe. You know, they think about God once in a while, and they relate it to the preacher being a, a guy that God's especially close to. And when they have special needs, they might run to the pastor. But they have no idea what Pat talked about, about being born into God's family. Now, what caused Pat to believe? The wind of the Spirit. That's what it's talking about here. The wind of the Spirit came the first time upon the church at Pentecost. It says something else. It says, Then they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each one of them. And they were all, all of them, were filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak in other languages or other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. We learned from the Old Testament that that wind was associated in the prophetic message with the movement of God, that uncontrollable, powerful effect of God in people's lives. Fire. Remember when Elijah called the fire down to use Elijah again? Remember when he was in conflict with the prophets of Baal, he called fire down from heaven? 
Remember in Ezekiel chapter 1, which, by the way, was a prophetic portion that the Jews would read at Pentecost. They would read Ezekiel chapter 1 and Habakkuk chapter 3. And both of those passages speak about a mighty revelation of God in power and in might and in fire. In Ezekiel 1, Ezekiel's caught up in a fiery vision. There's a fiery chariot, and there's streams of fire coming from the chariot. Same thing you have in Daniel chapter 7, and the same thing in Revelation chapter 1. The fire representing that that purging righteous justice of God. Only this time, the fire of God comes upon his children. And it comes upon every single one of them. And this time, the fire doesn't produce judgment, but it produces voices that proclaim. My intent is not to get into a big debate about what they did with their mouth and what tongues is and everything else. The incredible thing about that debate is so many of us miss the really obvious truth. What happened when these people were filled with the Holy Spirit? They began to speak. And let's read the next verse, which tells us what they did as they were speaking. It says, and when they heard the sound, a crowd came together in verse 6 in bewilderment. They couldn't figure out what was all the hoopla was about. Whenever there's kind of a disturbance, whether it's the Dallas Fair or whether it's in a church or anywhere, people gather together. So people start running to see what in the world's going on. And each one, when they gathered together, heard them speaking, these different 120 believers speaking in his own language. Literally amazed, they asked, are not all these men Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya and Cyrene and visitors from Rome. How in the world do all of these people, in fact, Luke just piles one nationality after another. It's almost like he's making a catalog of the ancient world. Why is he doing that? And then he leads right into Peter's speech, which presented the message of the resurrected Christ. You know what Pentecost should mean to us? Pentecost should mean, number one, we've got to learn to be thankful for the seeds and for the simple loaves of bread. We also need to be thankful for the gift of God's moral standards. If someone at one of your friends says, how do you know what is right? I want you to respond, I'm glad you asked. Because the reason I know what's right is not that I know what's right, but there's a creator that knows how to live right. And I've received his message. And I celebrated Pentecost, the gift of God's moral law. But you know what? I celebrate something far more. Because under the old covenant, none of us could keep that law. You know what happened at Pentecost? God sent his Holy Spirit into believers' lives so that they could fulfill the moral law of God. Paul put it like this in Galatians chapter 5. If you respond to the fruit of the Spirit, which is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, all those marvelous fruit, you know what Paul says? Those that live according to the fruit of the Spirit, they don't need any law because the law is their very nature. The fruit of love, joy, and peace. All those fruit of the Spirit. You know what it is? It's the, it's the reality of God's personality living inside of us 
to enable us to fulfill what is celebrated at Pentecost, the gift of the moral law of God, because the Spirit of God is within us. How many of you have ever gone through a feeling, old J.W. that used to come to our church used to say, you know, there's times, Dave, when I just don't feel spiritual at all. And a lot of you that are old-timers remember J.W. getting up in his sharing time and says, I feel totally ungodly today. Didn't put it exactly like that, but that's what he meant. Do any of you ever have a spirit inside where you feel like, I just don't feel like being very spiritual today? Now, what do you do when you feel like that? You know what a whole lot of you do? You do what all the rest of our society does. You go, well, I don't feel like it, so I'm not going to do it. And then you baptize that thing that I'm not going to do what I don't feel like doing. You baptize it with what you think is a real, honest American thing to say. At least I'm true to my feelings. I'm not some hypocrite. You know, you're never going to grow in your spiritual life until you do that until you get over that, and until you learn to do this. You know one of the incredible things about the Spirit of God? I love the Spirit of God in my life. Because I can get up Sunday morning, I can get up on Friday morning, I had to speak up in Argyle, and I can say, Lord, as I get up this morning, my allergy is causing my eyes to itch, and my nose to run in a million different directions, and I really don't feel like teaching very much this morning. And man, we've got to drive an hour and a half to get up there, and it's so neat to be able to talk to the Lord and says, Lord, I just don't feel like it in my human strength. And I'd say, Lord, I'm really, that's really great. Because if anything's going to happen in this meeting, you're going to have to do it. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to get up there and I've worked really hard to know what I want to say. And I've talked to you about it. And I think I know what you want to say. But if it depends upon me, it's going to be a real bummer. So you're going to have to do it. And I'm just going to relax. I'm just going to go up there and I'm going to do it. And I'm going to talk to those people. I'm not going to worry about whether I remember what I'm going to say. I'm just going to do your thing. Because that's what you've gifted to me to do. When the elders placed their hands on me early in my young Christian life, you said, by hook or by crook, so you're going to be a mouth in the family of God. I said, Lord, I'm your mouth. Just do your thing. That might sound like such a little thing, but you don't know the incredible joy there is in doing that. What I'm doing with you is really an incredible joy for me. And I covet, I pray that some of you young men will be gifted by the Spirit to be able to teach the Word of God, not because it's a more elite thing. I just pray that the, that the Spirit of God will come upon some of your lives and you'll, get, you'll just get a burning in your soul that you'll have to teach other people the Word of God, just like I pray that some of you will get a burning desire to make money for the glory of Jesus so that we can support the whole thing. It's all working together. I love what I do. There's a tremendous freedom in what I do. Because when I start to teach, the wind of the Spirit moves. And, and Pat's born again. And he's able to talk about it years later. And, and their family came together. Sure, there's failures. But what a miracle of the grace of God. Some of you really change. And it's not because of me. It's because of the wind of the Spirit. You know, that's the way we overcome our sin. We just admit to the Lord, Lord, if it's up to me, I'm going to sin. I don't feel right. I don't act like right. I don't think right. But Lord, in my will, I'm going to decide to let the wind of the Holy Spirit of God do his thing. And then you obey. And you know what happens when you obey? The wind of the Spirit starts to blow in your life. 
and it's, it's some of the greatest, you think you want to get high. It's one of the greatest highs there is. To learn to know what the Word of God says. To learn and say, Lord, whether I feel like it or not, doesn't make a blood of difference. I'm just going to do it. But I'm not going to do it in my own strength. It's got to be your spirit that Paul told me, if I live by the Holy Spirit, in other words, if I was born again because the Holy Spirit came into my life, then I, if I was born that way, then I'm going to live like that every day. Same thing. I'm just going to rest in the reality of the Holy Spirit moving in my life. And you'll know it when you grieve him. You'll know it when you hurt him. But you'll also know it when you're moving under his wind. We went sailing yesterday. Great day to sail, man. The wind, that unseen, powerful wind was really doing its thing. But you know what? It's a real art. Like one of the things we try to do on, on the catamaran is to get that thing up, to fly that hull. It's really interesting. Once you get up, it's like a delicate sensitivity to make it just ride for several minutes up. I couldn't help but think, as I was thinking about today, you know, learning to be sensitive to the Spirit's control is that delicate touch, delicate sensitivity, learning to really be sensitive to the way that the wind is moving the sails of your life. But it's one of the greatest kicks when it's happening. And I pray that you're all rejoicing in that. We closed with this, you know, the Spirit of God is not in our lives just to make us have a great harvest celebration ourselves. The Lord doesn't just want us to get together as we think about this harvest. But how many languages did the Holy Spirit enable them to speak? All the languages of the then known world. You know what Pentecost should mean to us? Not just the harvest rejoicing. Not just the fact that the Holy Spirit is in our life to help us to obey the Mosaic law in its true intent and its true fulfillment. The Holy Spirit is in our life not just to enable us to have the fruit of the Spirit, but Pentecost was harvest time. And it was the very first time that an evangelist in the Church of Jesus Christ spoke to a crowd and talked about the resurrected Christ. Pentecost should mean to us there's a great harvest, and the harvest is the world. And as a group of believers, we need to realize that there's still language groups that haven't heard. Even closer to home, there's still kids in our high school, still kids in our grammar school, still kids in our colleges, still people at work, still some retired folks that still don't understand. They haven't gotten it yet that it's a free gift, just like Pat related to us earlier. Christ died for our sins. He rose again. Just trust him, and you can have eternal life. And our church family needs to have a Pentecost renewal where we see the harvest field is the world, and we're involved in trying to plant that seed all over this planet, believing that the wind and the rain and the Spirit of God will cause it to grow. And one day, the final thing that Pentecost reminds us of, all the celebration and all the rejoicing here on planet Earth is ultimately going to culminate in a great harvest celebration in heaven. Because Revelation and the book of Hosea and all those great prophetic books close with a great, final, ultimate harvest celebration. Only, you know what? The party is going to never end. There will be no fat lady that ever sings. 
because it's going to go on forever and ever and ever and ever. And we want all of our friends to be there. Rejoice. Let the Spirit produce the law of God in your life. But most of all, let that Spirit of God change your life and then give you a mouth and give you a life that plants that seed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. We're thankful for the way that we can begin way back in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 16 and then we can move through the old covenant into the new covenant. And Lord, you're just so creative in the way that you bring things together to give so much meaning. And I pray that whenever we hear the word Pentecost, that we will remember harvest, that we will remember the fulfillment of the law, and we will remember the need to take this glorious good news into all the earth. In Jesus' holy name we pray. 